Amen. Well, I hope that you at home are able to enjoy that music as much as we are here in the room. Uh, but we look forward to being in the room together. Hopefully that will come soon. Uh, we've been going through Nehemiah, so grab your Bible. Even if you're home alone or just with a couple people, grab your Bible, open up to Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 5. Uh, in preparation for looking at this message, um, I was doing some, some studying on military tactics, and I found some kind of fun stuff. Uh, Maybe uh, you aren't so familiar with Israel's uh, becoming a nation in the 40s. Well, they were, as they moved into this land and they were starting to become a nation again, they were surrounded by armies moving to attack them. Uh, the problem was they were out of bombs and they had no way to drop these bombs if they had them because they were too big. And so somebody came up with this idea to take seltzer bottles and, and they sounded, they whistled as they fell. And when they hit the ground, they made a big boom. And so they flew over and dropped seltzer bottles, and the armies heard it. They thought they were being bombed, and they ran away. You know, great strategy that would work probably one time. There were several others. Well, one time there was a, a, a commander, I think this was in Italy, who had never lost a battle. And so nobody wanted to fight him. If he was there, they would leave. Well, he died. And this army was coming to attack, uh, and so instead his wife took his dead body put all his armor on, strapped him to the horse and sent him out. And when the enemy saw that he was there leading the group, although he was dead, they didn't know it, they dispersed, they were run down, and they lost. Again, that's going to work one time. What about those strategies that work over and over and over? The Mongol army, Genghis Khan, you know, they had a strategy that would work over and over and over as they would attack, and then they would pretend to retreat and the people would run them down thinking they're getting them. And then every time, pretty much, they would turn, they'd have people hidden, and they'd attack, and they'd beat that army. You know, as Christians, as Jesus followers, and we're looking through the book of Nehemiah, and we're trying to learn how can we be used greatly by God for good things. Or used by God to do great things. You know, we, we saw starting early on that God, the eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 69, moved to and fro throughout the earth looking for those whose heart is blameless toward him so he can strongly support them. Meaning God is looking for people belonging to him, sold out to him to give all his resources behind to accomplish God's purposes for his glory, for the benefit of people. But the fact is, there's an enemy. And the enemy wants to stop the progress of the kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That was, I mean, I love Jesus. But here, I mean, it's a little bit of trash talk of, no, my, my church is going to go because it's him. It's not because there's anything special about us, but it's Jesus in us. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Meaning there's the gates that's defensive. There is an army against us, Satan and his demons. And they have some strategies that they'll use over and over and over that continue to work. And we as a church, as God's people, need to be aware of these strategies. Now, the one we're going to look at today, I'll be totally honest. I think a lot of times uh, the devil, who would love to come against and stop kingdom work, a lot of times we as Christians, we in the church, we do plenty good on our own. You know, and the devil watches the way we behave, the way we act. and He's like, hey, let's just leave them alone. They're doing our job for us. Well, what we're looking at is this, this strategy of stopping God's work. The best way to stop God's mission is to ignore sin and create disunity among God's people. Listen to that. The best way to stop God's mission is to ignore sin and create disunity among God's people. We looked last week at some of the 
opposition from the outside trying to cease the work of building the wall. Nehemiah was building a wall for God's glory and the benefit of God's people in Jerusalem. It was a great work. It was a big deal. It had been torn down for 150 years, and God wanted to rebuild it. And Nehemiah said, here I am. Send me. And so he went to rebuild this wall, and the enemies around said, no, we're going to stop it. But they ignored them. They kept the work. In the same way, similar, look through history. You know, the Christian church, when it is oppressed from the outside, it thrives and it grows. Just look at China. For 70 years, they've been trying to destroy the Christian church, but yet it's, it continues to grow. But the, the tactic that works best is to get us believers to tear it down from the inside. And here in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see kind of a movement here to possibly stop this work and to stop God's people from doing a great work from the inside. So look with me at Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, just to catch you up, remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Uh, Persia is the, the ruling empire in the world at this time, uh, and they control the area of Jerusalem. They had allowed the Jews to go back out of exile. They're back in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding Nehemiah because he had done his job well. Uh, he was a, a wise man close to the king. He asked you know, for, for the favor of the king to go back and rebuild. The king sent him. He also sent him with the holy credit card to get all the lumber he needed uh, to finish this wall. And there he is. He went. Uh, he made a plan. He spoke to the leaders and the people there around Jerusalem. In, in Jerusalem, he said, let's build this wall. They said, that sounds good. Let's get to work. So they've been working on this wall. Uh, the opposition had been coming. They ignored him, and they kept working on the wall. And the wall now is built to about half its height-ish, uh, and the breaches are being uh, closed in. A good work is happening. Now listen, Nehemiah 5, starting in verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry. Remember, this is Nehemiah. I was very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and brought charges against the nobles and officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So here, what, what is the situation? You know, here's the condition. They're back. They're rebuilding. Nehemiah, they clearly hadn't had a leader like this in Jerusalem for a while, uh, maybe not for hundreds of years. And here's Nehemiah, a godly man leading. And the wives, the wives who were in the houses, the wives who were continuing while their husbands might have been working on the wall, an outcry arose. They grabbed their husbands. It looks like they said, hey, we've got a strong leader here. Let's deal with some of this injustice. And what's happening in the nation there among the people is those with were taking advantage of those without. And there's somewhat two issues as you look at these verses. The one is direct disobedience. So they, as God's people, the Jews, before the coming of Christ, they followed the Mosaic law. 
laid out in the Old Testament. You see it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Read those and you'll, you'll see the history and you'll see the rising of the nation of Israel and the law. And in the law, God told them specifically, you as my people, as Israelites, do not loan money to each other with interest. Loan to each other all you want. Better yet, give to each other, take care of each other, but do not take interest. They were free to take interest from foreigners. You know, they could loan money to to anybody else and charge them interest, but not their own people. So here, these Jews, these people are taking advantage of their fellow Jews in a way that was sinful and disobedient to the word. That's the first issue. The second issue, if you remember the greatest commandment, you know, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, how do you read it? They say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We now are under this law of love, but so were they. You know, love, love of God and love of one another really should, as believers, as God followers, God's people, that should dictate how we act. And here, these are God's people taking advantage of one another. Even if it was allowed and legal, they were taking advantage of one another. That was not the loving thing to do. Uh, They had to pay the tax. Whether they were making money on their fields or not, they had to pay a tax to the Persian king. Well, they were borrowing to pay that tax, borrowing at interest. They would then be in debt to these fellow Jews, fellow believers. They would be in debt to them, and they couldn't pay it. And so they would give their sons and daughters as slaves. Now, it might not be the slavery as we think of it here in the United States, uh, but they would go and work for free to kind of pay off this debt that they had. Well, here, uh, Nehemiah hears about this. And he says, it's time to do something about it. Uh, If you're a note taker and you're on the app, this is one of those notes. But the enemy within is worse than the enemy without. That's a big deal to us. The enemy within is worse than the enemy without. And the great way to stop God's work and God's mission is to tolerate sin among God's people and to create disunity among God's people. So here, Nehemiah hears about this. The people come up. What does he do? I really appreciate what he does. In verse 6, we already read it. What begins, he hears it, and he's very angry. You know, Scripture, there's one verse in Scripture that says, be angry and do not sin. You know, there's quite a few others that say, do not be angry, because honestly, how often can we really be righteously angry and do not sin? You can be angered by sin and by things you should be angered by, but often it leads us to sin. But what does Nehemiah do? He's angry, and what does he do? Verse 7, I took counsel with myself. I love that verse. What does he do? It looks like he hears this, and he takes a walk. He doesn't lash out in his anger. Now, this is also kind of fun. Later at the end of the book of Nehemiah, he's going to lash out. He's going to be so angry, he's going to go around hitting people and pulling their hair out. Look forward to that message. Um, But here, he takes a walk. He cools down. He takes counsel with himself. Okay, what they're doing is not loving. It's against the law of God. It's sinful. We're going to deal with this. And so he calls a great assembly. And he says, we're going to deal with this sin in the camp, this sin among God's people. And he calls them together. And in verse 8, he says, and I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find any word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? 
So here he calls this out. He says, we've been slaves for a long time, but now we're back in our own country, you know, in our own nation. We're no longer slaves here, but yet we're enslaving one another. He says, that just doesn't make any sense. He says, we're of the same flesh. We should be taking care of one another. Instead, we're doing what our enemies did to us. But then he hits the heart of the issue. And I really like this. The heart of the issue is the fear of the Lord. You know, it, it, he says that in, uh, in verse 9. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? You know, again, we go back to the beginning of Nehemiah where we said we, if we want to use greatly by God, it begins with a dislocated heart. Meaning we care more about the kingdom than about worldly things. And then it leads to a broken spirit, meaning we love what God loves, we're broken by what breaks God, and we take it to God in prayer. That's what the fear of God looks like. You know, it's this humble submission and surrender to God as our king. Here, they're not fearing him. Rather, they're out for themselves. What can we get from from each other? What can we get from this opportunity, whatever it is? And he says, instead, you should fear God, and he gives them the reason. And the reason is, you know, look around, look at our neighbors, and, and uh, this is the second half of verse 9. He says, Ought not you to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. So the enemies around are looking in at Jerusalem, supposed to represent God to the rest of the world. And it's like, okay, look at them. Their wall's torn down. They have no unity. They say they're God's people, but they're, they're taking advantage of one another. Rather, God's people live and look differently in order to be a light to the nation. So Nehemiah, he understands the situation. And he says, we, as God's people, represent God to the rest of the world. We should look and live differently. And let me tell you, Christians, that has not changed. God God makes himself known to the world through his people. His people ought to look and live different. The same now. But now, how do the people respond? Verse 10. It says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So he says, stop exacting the interest and now do something else. Verse 11. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. He says, let's make this right. Here's our sin. I'm making it clear, but let us make it right. He's so gentle with this. You know, talking about us and and we, uh, he's patient, leading them to this place of restoring what they've taken away. Verse 12, then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. God's people are quick to repent when sin becomes known. We're going to see later that that these people find the word, they pull out the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, and they start to read it and read it aloud, and, and they, they hear it, and it looks like some of it they're hearing for the first time. It's possible they didn't know that they weren't supposed to exact interest. Now, they should have known they're supposed to love one another, but here they hear this, and they respond with repentance. Repentance meaning we're sorry, and we're going to fix it. You know, he who confesses a transgression will, uh, will prosper, Proverbs says. He who conceals a transgression will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes it 
will find compassion. That's the verse. And so confessing it and turning from it, that's repentance. God's people repent. And I wish I could tell you that belonging to God means we repent one time. We believe Jesus died on the cross. We look at our sinful life and we go, I'm turning. And now things are just going to go perfect the rest of my life. Unfortunately, we enter this process after we're saved called sanctification, by which we become more and more like Jesus. And in that process, God will reveal things to us over and over in different ways and different things, sin in our lives. And if we're walking with God, we will see it. We will say, yes, I agree with you, God, and humbly repent and turn and do our best to make it right. We have uh, consistent repentance. But again, remember, the best way to stop God's mission is to ignore sin and create disunity among God's people. Now, the rest of this chapter, I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it on your own. The rest of chapter 5 kind of outlines Nehemiah as opposed to what the Jews had been doing, what the nobles and those with money had been doing. Nehemiah, he becomes the governor, and he's wealthy. He has a lot of stuff. And as governor, he is entitled to taxes and to people bringing food. And he, we see in the rest of the chapter here, he's responsible for feeding 150 people a day among his court and in his house. But instead of taking from the people to do it, which would have been his right and okay, instead he does it. Generosity out of his own heart, he provides. And so there's this this contrast between what the other rich people were doing and Nehemiah as a rich person, uh, as a very entitled person, what he does with his generosity. But I want you to notice something. How much of the wall gets built in chapter 5? None. None of the wall is built in chapter 5. When there is sin among God's people, when there is is taking advantage of one another and, and disunity, read the New Testament, unity among God's people is key. When there is sin and disunity, the work stops. And it needs to be dealt with. And if we as a church refuse to deal with it, the work is just gonna stop and we're gonna stay there. And again, our enemy is gonna look on from the outside and go, hey, stay back, they're doing it on their own. Rather, we as believers look at sin in our own lives, repent and deal with it and maintain our unity. If you're watching this and, and maybe you're, you're new to church or you're new to the gospel, we are not saved by these good works that we're talking about. We are saved by Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood, was broken for us, buried in the grave, rose three days later. And now if we believe he died on the cross, believe he rose from the dead, and we say, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, I believe in you, Jesus, take my life, we're saved. And right there we get this, this stamp, we're given the Holy Spirit, we're given our get into heaven card, however you want to call it, that we can't lose because it's based on Jesus. And then we enter this great adventure of life with God where he wants to use us to do great things. Now, again, I can't wait to meet with God and ask him some of these things. Why he has chosen to work through his people, I don't know. But God has chosen to work through his people, not around him. But in order to work through his people, he first must work in his people. So I want to I go to the next point. How do we apply this concept? We see in Nehemiah sin, they deal with it, they repent, they move on. No work is done because of the sin. No work is done as they deal with it. But then great work is about to be done. What about us? What does the New Testament say? In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, we read, read Jesus saying this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be, be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus instructs us as his people, part of the church, if there are people who are claiming to believe in me, but they're living in blatant sin, you go help them. Take their sin to them. You know, with a spirit of gentleness, but we go. We, as, as Christians, often in the church, we want to just ignore sin. We like peace. We all like peace. It's great. But we might see sin in, in family members or friends, and we just kind of allow that to go. Rather, again, if we understand that we're on mission together, that God wants to do great things, we cannot tolerate sin in our midst. And that word tolerate sounds bad as if we need to go fix it. But it's rather a, a gentle, humble, gracious, here we go to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. Have you ever been in one of those prayer meetings and someone brings up, oh, I hear about, so we need to pray for so-and-so. They're really struggling with whatever. Well, that's gossip and that's slander. If you know somebody struggling with sin, don't share it with your prayer group, how spiritual that feels. Go to that person. Share with them. And often that person, if you come to them and love, hey, I love you and I see this, they're going to respond well. Hopefully, like in Nehemiah, with repentance and turning. And if they don't, then we take two. And it goes on, and finally it says, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If they're living in open sin and doing nothing about it, guess what? We still love them. We still hang out with them, yet we just treat them as an unbeliever, meaning we love them and we share Jesus with them. Now, you may be thinking, but wait, don't judge. We're not supposed to judge, right? You know, judging one another is bad. Well, in 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 12, and this is my, my paraphrase of what he says, don't judge the non-believer. They don't have the standards we have. They don't know God. So don't judge them. Love them. They need you. But do judge the one who claims to be a Christian in the church. Because as we, just like Israel in Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah, we represent God to the world. And if there is sin, uh, visible sin rampant in our midst, those will come in and look and go, you're no different from the world. So we need to guard that. We need to guard our, our purity and do as Galatians 1 and 2 says. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Combine that with what Jesus teaches in Matthew 7 about you know, the speck. Maybe you remember this story. He says, why are you going to go take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? That's the, the judgmental Christian, the holier than thou, who's got all this sin of whatever it is, pride and self-righteousness, and they see a little sin in your, your life. Uh, you, know, you, you parked in a handicapped spot, and we need to deal with that sin, whatever it is. Rather, deal with the, the, the log in your own, deal with your own sin, and then go to your brother or sister and gently restore them. In Galatians, the apostle Paul is writing that. He says, do it humbly, graciously, bear one another's burdens. How beautiful is that? To be with people that love you enough to come to you and say, I see this in your life and I love you too much to allow it to continue. And I'm going to help you, whatever that looks like, to get through this sin. We as God's people, if we want to be used greatly by God, we must first deal with sin in our own lives, then be willing to gently help others through their sin. So we look, it begins in the mirror. 
sin in our own lives, and then we help others. And if others come to us, again, we might want to lash out or respond with, with pride or whatever. Rather, we, we humble ourselves. Is what they're saying true? Is there sin that I need to deal with? And then we go together. Because again, we as a church, we're one team. We're one body going with Christ. And God is planning to do great things. He's doing great things now, as Paul said, and as we've been singing about, God is doing great things. Although we've been locked at home and maybe we're not seeing as much, uh, God is at work. And, and soon we're going to get together. And soon we're going to get to really see some of these things that God has been planning and God is doing. But for us, and for us as individuals, is there sin we need to deal with? Because sin will prevent God working through us. Blatant sin. Now, we're not going to be perfect. Don't think that way. But if there's blatant sin, just, just a disregard for what, what God is saying, we need to deal with it. And then we need to go together and help each other, and we're going to do a great work, and God is going to do a great work in and through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Nehemiah, uh, a great leader who is, is humble and willing to do the hard things, willing to confront sin, willing to help restore and lead people to repentance. And, and I ask that we as a church, that all of us in this room and all of us watching, all of us that are going to be in this room, that we would deal with sin in our own lives. We would let you, Holy Spirit, deal with sin in our lives. That we would be humble. God, that during this really difficult time with riots and, and COVID and, and all these things going on we might disagree with, God, we might want to lash out. You know, whether it's online, uh, we've got Facebook and other social media, we, won't, we might want to express our anger. And as we do some of those things, we might misrepresent you. God, I pray that we would humble ourselves. And, and when we speak, that we would speak with grace and love and draw people to you, not away from us. And then, God, I pray that you would give us the boldness that as we see sin in one another, again, people we love, people we have relationships with, we would go to them gently, reveal their sin to them, and help. And that, God, you would create in us, among us, uh, a holiness, a purity, that we would love what you love, we would follow you, and again, use us, please, for your glory to do great things. In Jesus' name, amen.